Welcome to the Positivity Podcast, where we explore the skills and strategies of personal development with cutting-edge researchers, authors, entrepreneurs, and experts. To be productive or to be even more productive, that is the question. This episode is with no other than the wizard of productivity himself, David Allen, author of Getting Things Done. In this episode, we touch upon how to get mental clarity, become more effective, and also touch upon some non-traditional topics of productivity, such as how it relates to ambiguity, introspection, relationships, and mental health. All things core to self-improvement. So without further ado, David Allen on how productivity can upgrade your human operating system. David Allen, thank you so much for getting on the show and getting your whole setup done to to get here. You know, I'm excited to get the interview done, but I'm also excited to get the interview started. This is our third time <laughs> trying to get the ball rolling. Um, yeah, and, things take longer than they take sometimes. Yeah. I'm delighted to be here, Daniel. Thanks. Yeah. And and you know, re reboot both the computers. I'm happy to hear that you uh, you speak in full sentences instead of the jumbled audio. <laughs> so this clarity I think is uh, is a almost telling of a lot of the work that you do. So maybe this is the, the interwebs giving us a metaphor for, for your work. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really excited. So thanks so much for coming. Sure. Um, so the first question I have is I'm really interested to hear your story of what sparked your inspiration for getting things done and sort of the different pain points that that might have led to it. You know, what's the story behind it? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I've, probably the biggest pain point was I needed a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you read in Wikipedia or whatever, you know, because I, I told somebody in an interview once, I think it was Wired, that I had 35 professions by the time I was 35. I always remember because just they, they, mapped, they matched up. When I was 35, I sat down and listed everything I'd done for money in my life from age five and you know, doing magic tricks on the sidewalk for five cents all the way through the rest of it uh, because I, I, I kind of just got bored easy. I, you know, I like to go into situations and look around and see, well, what can I do to improve and, and do a good job? And I always kept looking at systems simply because I, I'm lazy and is there some easier way to do this and get the work done? So I, I've always been sort of fascinated and curious about that and had fun doing that. But then I'd fix things and then, then they get on the cruise control and I get bored and I just changed. And then one day I discovered they actually paid people to do that. They call them consultants. So I said, <laughs> so I hung out my shingles. So I went, okay, now, you know, couldn't spell it. Now I are one. And, you know, I said, okay, well, what do I need? And so what I needed were some tools to be able to work that I wanted to be able to say, okay, how can I trust that when I show up with somebody that I don't know and I don't know what their situation is, how can I, uh, how can I bring value to that as a consultant in, in that way? At the same time, I had a fascination and an interest in, you know, sort of high-performing behavior uh, and, 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 you know, I love clarity. I have, uh, you know, I'd gotten a black belt in, in the martial arts and I love the sort of Zen aesthetic and the, the idea of meditation and spiritual practices and I was, you know, involved in all of that, got involved in all of that, you know, early around that time. 
And so I was sort of fascinated by that and consciousness and all that good stuff. At the same time, I uh, was looking for good models that really work for people. Well, it turned out I, I wound up having a friend who became a mentor, and I worked closely with him doing several uh, consulting jobs together for a couple of years. He handed off to me some things that he had learned in 25 years of coaching executives and working with organizational change. And he started to introduce me to a couple of techniques he'd come up with. And they were extremely powerful, very simple, like, hey, write everything down that's on your mind. And then take each one of those things you wrote down and decide what's the very next action you need to take on that. And that was like transformative, like, whoa, what a difference that made for me. And I said, well, that's a cool technique. Let me see if that works for other people in the same way. And so in my sort of beginning little consulting practice, I started working with you know, friends who, had, who were starting their own businesses and entrepreneurs and, and, and people in my network. And I started to see, hey, those techniques work for everybody. And that was the beginning, this is 1981, that was the beginning of me just being on the path of, okay, there's something to this about sort of, you know, how do I manage what's in my head, get it out of my head, what decisions do I need to make about it, how much difference does that make in terms of my ability to be focused and in control. And those were, you know, those are key elements essentially to self-management. So that's what started, and that was in the very early, early, early days when time management, you know, was sort of a kind of a hot topic. and and. As I was moving more into the you know, organizational world out there in the corporate world, I was a, figured, hey, that's a, that's a good place for a job. People think they need that. Though you can't manage time, but my stuff tended to address those kinds of issues that people had in that way. So there was no one big wake up in the morning, have some big epiphany, and that, that was GTD. It was really just a combination and, and an accumulation of a lot of these little best practices and then it took me 25 years, essentially, of thousands and thousands of hours. I mean, Malcolm Gladwell has nothing me on 10,000 hours. I must have had 50,000 hours literally sitting desk side with some of the best and brightest folks in the world, testing and implementing these practices and these things. And then, you know, by the late 90s, I realized, gee, you know, I think I figured out something that nobody else has figured out, and it is pretty bulletproof. You know, it had been tested in the fires of some of the you know, probably toughest organizations and environments that you could put this material into and went viral inside those environments. So I said, okay, I guess I time to write the book. So that's what I did. And so that was a, that's a, a, a long, short version of a very long story. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned that it works for everybody. And in our earlier conversation, you were saying that that was one of the things that was most striking for you because you know, there are other techniques that work for maybe some people or not other people. What, what kind of had people been doing before some of your techniques in the early 80s? What was productivity management like then? There really wasn't much of any, at least in the personal side of things. If you even had a pocket day timer in 1981, you were a geek. You know, so, <laughs> so, I mean, really, truly. And, and the day timer was actually created by a lawyer, you know, in, in, in Pennsylvania just to keep track of billable time that's why it's but, in 15, but what do you mean what do you mean there, what do you mean there wasn't anything because there had to be you know people had to be productive <laughs> were people just literally showing up and being like okay whatever whatever happens, oh, come on happens. there 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 were no paper planners there were no computers there wow. were certainly were no smartphones there was no internet I, I i know that's hard for some of you kids to realize there was <laughs> there was a time you know and we walked through the snow 20 miles because you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> there was a time and 
so they're, they're, you know, what, what people did, frankly, I, I, you know, most people kept a calendar somewhere like a desk calendar, you know, that they wrote things on. Mm -hmm. And if, if they had one of those, if they were somewhat productive, usually you'd see them filled up with pencil marks all over because everybody, you know, there was a study done early on that, that, that back when people kept, you know, paper calendars that most people filled out, you know, more things to do on Monday than they could possibly do the whole week. You know, yeah. <laughs> you get inspired on the weekend and you just fill up your calendar with all kinds of things to do. So those are the, the kind of the early, mm. um, you know, uh, kind of crude attempts that people had. The daily to-do list was the biggest mistake people were making back then because the world was starting to change rapidly and you couldn't really trust that you could lay out your day that wouldn't get changed and, you know, blown the hell out of by the first memo from your boss or, you know, the, the first phone call that you got. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, building a, a sort of a systematic process to be able to manage all that was uh, was really a, quite a new thing. And you know, the whole paper planner. You know, the the when I first started doing this work, uh, we were I, I was actually working with people and coaching people just to write things down on separate pieces of paper, and then just organizing and then deciding next actions about them, and then organizing those pieces of paper in file folders mm -hmm. that they then kept in a you know on a, you know on a like an in basket or an in tray on their desk so that they could then, you know, essentially keep track of their projects and their actions, but in a very low tech way. Actually, that works very, still very well. Some people really still love that, that low tech way to manage it because the pieces of paper are like little particles that move around based upon the status of things. And, you know, that, that was cool. But then the, the mid tech kind of world showed up and those are the paper planners. And the mid, mid to late eighties, those, those got very popular, started out in Europe. Actually, I was one of the first distributors of probably the most elegant graphic of those paper planners called Time, Time Design, Time System in Europe and, uh, and out of Denmark. And that was gorgeous. And I used that planner. And then we used that. I, I was then using that in seminars and the coaching with a lot of people because nobody had a tool. And so you needed, people needed some sort of a tool to be able to manage lists and to keep stuff out of their head. And that was pretty much the only thing available then. And then, of course... In the 90s, the, the, the Palm showed up, and that was you know, pretty game-changing because that, and, you know, too bad the Palm isn't around anymore because there was probably no better list manager, simpler, easier, form factor was brilliant. They had this simple little PC desktop version that was just so easy to use. That was really cool. Uh, and so that then kind of changed the world and where the world started to become digital in that way. So. But that, that's the, that was kind of the migration of people's systems. And then it started to become just this now plethora of, at last count, somebody did a, an, an app store search for GTD, and I think they, they came up with you know, over 500 hits in terms of how many apps out there are pretending or saying that they're GTD-esque or they support the GTD model. So it's come a long way. But, they, but then again, it's, you know, I'm an old man. <laughs> been, around, been around a while. And I definitely want to dig into where you think the world's headed and the future of this sort of work. But first, let's dig into GTD and what it really is. Um, you know, you, a couple of things that I pulled out of what you're saying, you know, lists, uh, getting ideas out of your head. Um, and you talked about sort of the effects of doing this system. And there are four words you brought up. Um, they were control feeling like you have more control, feeling like you have more focus, feeling like you have more clarity. And I, I, you might have said this our, our first time talking that, that the, the audio was poor, but 
The last thing you said, which really surprised me, was lazy, <laughs> that you could be lazy. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is um, not, not expending extraneous effort or energy. Uh, not only not expending it, but not having to deal with it. I mean, if the thought... Do you have a pet, by the way? Do you have a dog or a cat? Uh, no, but I have a lot of friends who do. Yeah. Well, if the thought, I need dog food, pops into your head more than once, you are inappropriately engaged with your dog. Now, lazy says, I should only have that thought once. As soon as I have that thought twice, I've just expended energy. Not only have I expended energy, I just created stress. Because I'm now reminding myself that I haven't made a commitment that I'm actually not on top of. Don't we need to be reminded, though? Yeah, once. Hmm. Why would you need... The only reason you keep needing to be reminded is you have not made the decision you need to make about it or park the trigger and the result in some place that you trust you'd see at the right time. Hmm. And so having that thought reappear is, um, is taking mental space from all the other amazing things I could be thinking about. Exactly. And if that happened once, bad enough, multiply that by a thousand, and then you start to feel that gnawing sense of anxiety of the stress that's building inside of all the people because they're trying to use their head as, as their office, and your head's a crappy office. It's a really crappy office. If you try to keep stuff, your life in your head, in terms of your priorities, and in terms of your what you're trying to keep track of in terms of your commitments at multiple levels with gazillions of people and projects and things going on out there, you'll be driven by latest and loudest. Hmm. And then you'll feel, and you'll feel bad about it. You'll be making choices out of hope, not out of trust. So what do you suggest we do when the idea that you need to buy dog food comes into your head? How does well, that fit into the system? <laughs> you, you, you either go buy dog food that very second. That's one way you could deal with it. Or if not, uh, where would you need to see a reminder of that? And by the way, is your dog close to dead or they, you know, they got enough food for three days? So there's a lot of factors there, but basically you just need to put a trigger. You, know, you can write it on a post-it on your refrigerator if dog food is something you get where you get groceries. You could, you know, if, you, if you are a gazillionaire and have 43 people who just follow you around, you could just tell somebody to go get dog food you know, and then they go get it for you. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Wouldn't matter. As long as you park it somewhere that you trust so your mind can let go and says that's handled. Mm. What do you need to do to put to put that on cruise control? Doesn't mean you have to go buy the dog food yet. You just need to make sure that that commitment's on cruise control. Mm -hmm. With, an, with so, an actionable next step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the secret is getting things done is not about getting things done. It's about being appropriately engaged with your life. Are you appropriately engaged with your health? Are you appropriately engaged with your life partner? Are you appropriately engaged with your apartment or your house? Are you appropriately engaged with God, who, with your Aunt Susie? You know, it's really about appropriate engagement. Because if you're inappropriately engaged, some part of you will be distracted. And, and you know, you, will, you, you won't then be optimally functioning, both cognitively as well, just in, in your world, in terms of moving around. So... You know, you got to get it out of your head and you have to then get it into, get whatever that commitment is into some level of cruise control so that you are then appropriately engaged. I mean, you know, come on, Daniel, how many things are you not doing right now talking to me? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and your ability to be present in this conversation is to a large degree dependent on having looked at all the rest of that stuff and said, no, this is the most important thing. But you can only feel good about what you're not doing when you know what it is. And very few people on the planet have that inventory.
and when every and when you feel settled in the other things, you can be more present in the moment. And that's the whole that's the whole idea of being present. I mean, that's what appropriate engagement is. It says I'm present. I'm fully here wherever I am. I put my attention. It has the freedom essentially to put my attention on what I want to put my attention on. People often often think, by the way, that I'm the most anal retentive OCD kind of person. Just given that the, the image that a lot of people have of what this is, and when they meet me, they go, "God, you're nothing like that." I hang out. I'm spontaneous. I, you know, eighty percent of my life is not on any list. I do it when I feel like it. You know, and people go, "Wow, I didn't think you'd be like that." Told, Excuse me. That's why I developed GTD was so I could be like that. Uh huh. Because because you have all your ducks in order per se. Exactly. Exactly. So what are the other components of it, you know? Well, you know, there are five steps. We've ultimately come down to the, the sort of describing it. It's, it's been distilled down into five significant steps that you take to get something under control. And when I say control, I'm not talking about controlling the weather or your kids or, the, or your boss. I mean, good luck. I'm talking about having something under control like your car as you're driving it or a meeting or your kitchen or your company or your head. So getting something under control, believe it or not, whether that's your company or your kitchen, <laughs> is five steps. The first thing you have to do is you have to capture what's not on cruise control. You have to identify what's pulling on the psyche. You walk into your kitchen, you go, well, that doesn't belong there. That doesn't belong there. Ooh. So if you've ever felt your kitchen out of control and you had friends coming over for, you know, you're going to cook them dinner, you know, you want to basically, and by the way, this reminds me back to your point about being lazy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I have 14 days of dinner piled up in my kitchen and I have guests coming over for dinner, that's not the laziest way <laughs> to mm-hmm. be able to then have fun cooking dinner for them, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, the, the, your most creative and productive time, I think, in my experience, is when you have the freedom to make a mess. Hmm. The, the problem is if you're in a mess, you don't have the freedom to make one. So I don't cook meat. I don't work meat. Uh, you know, I don't do anything really that neat, but I start neat so that I have the freedom to hang out, to flail around, to have fun, to have a crazy idea, to be spontaneous. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the big key, you know, so in order to get there, so the first step, the five steps, very simply capture, clarify, organize, reflect, engage. So the first thing is to capture, I need to identify what's not on cruise control. So what's got my attention here in the kitchen? Um, how, it, it, I, I'd, lo- I'd love to dig deep into each of those. How, yeah, how do, how do you capture? What does that look like, you know, and given the changes in technology, what's your, your process of doing that? Well, it's everything from write it on a scrap of paper, throw it in your mind on in basket. My, you know, physical in-tray is probably still my most powerful tool to keep my head clear, you know, which I'm staring at right now. It has a receipt sitting in it. So there's a, uh, you know the physical physical thing. I could literally take anything that's you know the the, the mail from the mailbox. I just throw it in my own in basket. So that's that is that's the most basic capture tool is to have a physical location where you throw stuff that you still then need to decide about at some point sooner than later. But I don't want to decide right now. I don't know what to do with that receipt. I don't know what it is. I just see it they're sitting there. But I I that gives me the freedom to be able to then just collect that stuff. But that's that's a capture mode. Obviously, writing things down, I'm still a low-tech collector for the most part. Uh, you, there, there, there's some great high-tech tools. As a matter of fact, I just got a tool called BrainToss, uh, uh, two Dutch guys that, that developed it. It's fabulous. And basically, it's uh, just on your, on your smartphone. You just uh, you know, 
punch an icon and talk into it, or you can write into it, or you can take a picture into it, and it instantly goes to your to whatever email address you you have programmed to be the default. So it's very smartly simple. You don't have to click 14 times to figure out where to stick this in Evernote in. You know, you can actually mail it instantly into your Evernote email address, and it'll instantly go to your Evernote inbox. But you don't have to go through any of the hoops to get it there. And so, very, very. That's so. You know, little plug for Brain Toss. Very cool. <laughs> By the way, if you go to the App Store, be careful because Brain Toss actually is a game. <laughs> so you have to you have to kind of look around to make sure you, you find it. But it's only a couple of bucks. But it's great, a fabulous tool. You know, if you've got a smartphone, if you have an iPhone. And should we have? Uh, it sounds like you have multiple different things to collect in. That that seems like you know. Yeah. Well, you don't want too many. You want as many as that make it easy to do. For the most part, I just carry a little wallet around. You know, that's mm-hmm. got a little notepad in it and a little pin. You know, the David Allen, the, the note-taker, GTD note-taker wallet. You can find it on our website. Because hmm. mm-hmm. it's got just room for the, just the right number of credit cards, great little pen, a little notepad. And that's where most of my collection actually happens. But anywhere I'm, you know, I, I keep a, a Rhodia pad, you know, which is a, a great note-taking pad, you know, kind of two-thirds size of a letter size. And I have a pad on my desk. Because <laughs> God knows when lightning strikes, when you get an idea or something you want to yeah. write down. So... So, you know, low-tech is the easiest way. There are no batteries, no, don't need Wi-Fi for any of that. So uh, that's fine. And there, any of the digital tools work, too. The problem is kind of out of sight, out of mind. And a lot of those, you, get, you, you, can, you can get pretty overwhelmed by trying to figure out, where do I park this? Do I just Siri it? But where does it go in Siri? Into which list? And then, you know, then that can then die in there if you don't move it to the next couple of stages. So capture could be anything, low-tech, mid-tech, high-tech, lots of ways you can just get, it, just get it out of your head. What you don't want to do is stick it somewhere where you're going to lose it, and that's basically your head. <laughs> and, and what would you say are the most common mistakes you see people making in this capture phase? And they, don't, they don't capture. <laughs> most people just have all kinds of stuff banging around in their head. They don't write down. What, what about they don't like... Put it into it. They don't put it into the process. It's just banging around in there. It's like echoing back and forth. Yeah. Buy dog food. Buy dog food. Oh shit! I gotta buy dog food. Oh, dog food. Oh god! And it'll pop in three o'clock in the morning. And yeah. if, you, if you want to stop it from banging around like a pinball in a pinball machine, you better stick it in some external thing that then gets into your process. Yeah. Because that's just stage one. Capture is just the, the stage one of the of the five steps. So it was interesting. Yesterday, I was listening to an interview of Paulo Coelho, the the Brazilian writer who. Um, wrote The Alchemist, and he was saying for his writing process, you know, at night he has so many ideas that come to his head that he writes down, but he doesn't really use it, you know. And I, I think a lot of us, especially this audience, has so many startup ideas and things that are going all, you know, all over the place that don't necessarily need action um, and may not even really be worthwhile to keep. <laughs> you know, what sort of sense do you make of those? It gets kind of subtle on that because you have to decide. I mean, I don't write down the 50,000 thoughts I have a day. That's what they've estimated we all have. Much of the time, it's just grazing. Let me think about this. Let me think about that. Oh, that's pretty. Oh, that's kind of a neat thing. Oh, I could do it that way. I could do it that way. Oh, what do I want? You know, I don't need to write. I don't need to write all that down. And so if those random ideas are simply, hey, I'm just grazing in terms of just looking at random ideas. That's one thing. If you said, you know, I don't want to lose that idea, that might be valuable at some point. Now you've made a very different distinction. This is now a commitment. 
This is now something internally that you said, I would, could, should, ought to do something about that. Mm. And you don't, it doesn't have to be actionable, but you would want to then use, you know, the category called someday maybe. Whether you make a file, digital or paper-based or whatever, and throw a call crazy-ass ideas that I may never move on, but I want to keep the idea. And that's how you handle those. Awesome. And if it's something you say, and it is something I really might want to do something about, throw it into your in-basket. Then the morning when you wake up in the light of day, say, Jesus, is that a really good idea? And if so, what's the next action on it? So, you know, again, it's all up to your own interpretation. So there's no way to make a general comment that, that works for everybody because each thought is going to be very different. But again, that depends on, I, I, I think that the, the problem would be, did it, does it pop into your head twice? Yeah. <laughs> if it's, and if it pops into your head twice, there's probably some part of you that says, you know, that might be something I might want to do something about or with. Yeah. And if so, that needs to then get out of your head if you want to keep your head clear. So first step is capture. Second step is clarify. What's the nuance of that? The nuance of that is to decide, you know, it's basically the decision tree about what specifically does this mean to me? Is this trash? Is this something simply for reference? Is this something I might want to do later on, not now? Is this something I need to move on now? And those are the kinds of decisions you need to make to clarify. You know, if you walk into your kitchen, you look around all kinds of you know, stuff on your counter. You know, some, somebody else had been in your kitchen and it was totally like a tornado hit it and you have guests coming over. First thing you're going to do is you're going to identify the stuff that's not where, what it belongs. And then you're going to decide what exactly it is. Is that garbage? Is that still food that goes in the fridge? Is that a dirty dish? Is that a clean dish? Is that a spice that still has stuff in the bottle? Then, you know, what is that? So that's what you're going to be doing is clarifying the nature of those things that are not necessarily where they need to be. And is so it, that's the clarify step. That's, and then you need to do that about every email, about every thought, every, every note you take, every, you know, any of that. You need to decide, wait a minute, is this email something I need to actually do something about? Is this reference material? Is this something I might want to do something about later on but not now? What is that? And that's the clarify step. Okay. And then first, the, and by the way, the very, the very first the very first dynamic on that is, is this an actionable item, yes or no? Mm -hmm. And if no, then, then you need to clarify, is that trash? Oh, I, now that I've seen it, I don't need it or I didn't need it to begin with. Is it reference material, meaning I just need to save it somewhere so I can get it in case I need it? Or is this something that I might move on later on, not necessarily now, in which case that's the incubator someday maybe you know, category. So that's the no's have then three sub-decisions you need to make. And the yeses, called, that is something I need to move on, have two critical decisions you need to make. One, the first is like, what's the very next action on this? And if that one action won't finish whatever this thing is about, what's the project? So outcome and action become the two really critical decisions you need to make. The executive thinking that you need to apply to notes you take, emails that show up, ideas you wake up with, et cetera. And so this clarification process in action, you know, if, if I see a piece of trash, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, think through all these thoughts, <clears throat> whether I should throw it out or not. Mm -hmm. These are, these are more just the sort of organizing principles by which we yeah. make decisions and sort of process all the stuff that we've captured. Um, well, yeah. It, and, and especially when you get to stage three, everybody thinks this is organizing, but organizing simply means that you park stuff based that where something is matches what it means to you. I mean, I'm the only person I've ever heard of on the planet that's ever come up with what I think is the appropriate definition of being organized. 
That is, that where something is matches what it means to you. But that begs the question, what does this mean to you? <laughs> right? That's why, you know, is that reference material or is it actionable? You know, if you haven't decided that, you have no idea where to put that. Mm-hmm. So That's the clarification true. step is, ne- is necessary so you decide what stuff means so that then you can park it based upon that meaning. So for step three, park stuff, what do you mean that yeah. by you put it where, or I forget the phrasing you used. but Yeah, yeah well, you put, it, you, know, you, you put it where those things go. You pick up a spice thing. Where do your spices go? If I walked into your kitchen, you have a kitchen, by the way. Yes. Daniel. I'd probably, if I walked in there, I'd see the certain kinds of things in certain places, mm-hmm. right? You don't have spices put in all over your kitchen. You probably have spices where spices go. Yeah. Right? That's mm-hmm. what I mean. It's called, hey, that's a spice. Here's where those things go. Right? So where does, where does a, a listing of a project that you have that you're committed to finish, where does that go? Probably my desk. Right. Well, my work desk. You know, we would suggest, well, how about a listing of where all of your projects get listed? Oh, that's a good idea. Now that I've decided this is a project, where do I put that reminder that I have this project? We'll put it where those reminders that you have projects go. So it's really about deciding what does stuff mean? You know, I make a, a kind of a funny point, but it actually, there's a truth in it. You know, do you have a bunch of crap that you just don't want to deal with? Everybody goes, yeah. So great, get yourself a big cardboard box and a big magic marker and label that box. Crap, I don't want to deal with. And then take all the crap you don't want to deal with and put it in that box. You walk free, you go have a beer, nothing on your mind. Why? You have now gotten organized. Because you decided that's what that stuff means. I don't want to deal with it right now. And anything I don't want to deal with or think about right now is going to go right over there. Otherwise, your whole life feels like it's full of crap you don't want to deal with. You know, as opposed to it's all in that box. You know, I just named it. You name it, you own it. You don't name it, it owns you. So how, do, how, do, how would you suggest that people pick all these categories? Is it just based on the way that we mentally frame the world to ourselves? Yeah, it is. Now, GTD, you know, if you read the book, I have some pretty standard stuff that most people pretty much have these standard categories. You know, references, reference. Called, there's no action on it. I just need, I, I want access to this information or this data when I might need it. You know, incubate is incubate, meaning there's no action now, but there might be later, so I need to have some reassessment of this somewhere. So that's, that's, a, that's a specific category. And trash, that's a pretty specific category too, called don't need it, didn't need it to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, now that I've seen it. And this pretty specific category called, hey, here's a next action that I need to take. Here's all the actions that I need to take in my life that, to, to fulfill commitments I've got. And that's a very specific category. So I don't think you're going to find ultimately... You know, a lot of people have tried to customize their, their definition of these categories, and you know, <laughs> without exception, everybody comes back and says, Oop, yep, you know, you named them. You know, yeah. I, I over, overdid it when I went and tried to do my own version of it. Mm-hmm. For a category like relationships, let's say that you are going to possibly go to a networking event to meet people, or you know, there's, there's a friend who you've had some, you felt like things have been off with. You know, how do you look at getting things done in relationships where the thing to get done is not so quantifiable? I mean, I guess in the system, well, you have the actionable next step, but I'm curious just in terms of your, your personal philosophy. Yeah. yeah, the interesting thing about it is you can apply this methodology to those even subtle or sublime and, and challenging and, and interesting kinds of things. It's very much the same thing. If I were to sit down and coach you, I'd say, what's got your attention? Uh, my relationship with this person X. I'd say, great. You know, uh, so what's your next step on that? 
Are you going to do something about that or not? Is this an actionable item? Yes or no? You tell me. Right. So if you say no, I say great. Then you're just going to have to tolerate that you don't like the person or you're uncomfortable with it. It's fine with me. I don't care. But if it still keeps bothering you, then I would suggest, well, you either decide. See, the things you actually, the only things that really bother you and the things you would potentially complain about are things that you assume need to be better than they currently are. You're just not taking the risk to make it so. Mm -hmm. That's what complaining is, is a risk preferred but not taken or a choice preferred but not risk. So it, it really, what this does is kind of put you on the hot seat. Go, look, you going to do something about that relationship or not? And if you are, what would that be? Mm. You know, and it could be, you know, I'm going to sit on this for three weeks and then I'm going to trigger it to ask myself again and see if I'm ready to do anything about it. Go, fine. As long as that's your agreement with yourself. All I do, I don't, I don't editorialize about what you should do in that relationship. I just know which questions I need to ask you so you get clear so this situation gets under cruise control. And cruise control may be accept the way things are. I mean, I doubt if you got up this morning and bitched about gravity, and yet it's killing people. Why? You don't assume you can change it. Yeah. So gravity is something you play, a, play with, strategize about, or ignore. And that's what you do with things you, know, you truly know you can't change. You know, yeah. so, so, so what this does is it puts you in that. It, does that make sense? I mean, this just puts you in a situation yeah. to make yeah. those decisions. It does make sense. Yourself. I think, you know, for the being an irrational person, <laughs> as is everybody, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to some times where I've been ruminating about a relationship, or I think especially a lot of people our age, there's this big question of what, what am I going to be doing with my life, you know, or my career? Like there's so many decisions that are coming up or, and even just this sort of introspection that needs to happen that I don't really know how to get down to. And so I, I guess I'd kind of break it into those two things. For the example of maybe feeling some tension with a friend, the, the thoughts can kind of circulate. Like, oh, did I do something? Or like, should I do something? Or I don't really know how I feel about this person. And that sort of lack of clarity of how I feel and, and how I want the relationship to progress can be inhibiting. And also, I don't really know the actionable best step to get clarity on something so vague and hard to understand as my own emotions you know so that's like a difficult next step and then i think in terms of introspection and figuring out what i what i'm most passionate about or what how i want to develop personally or the best resources you know there's just a lot of stuff going on i'm sure these these are stuff that you've faced with clients so i guess you know my explanation of it is kind of unclear <laughs> Because I think that's well, sort of the yeah. nature of it, and the, and the, the, the and next actually step. what what you're touching on though, Daniel, is a, is a very key point. See, uh, you know, when I was talking about clarifying, uh, you know, one key thing is what's the next action. However, sim the simultaneous question is what are you trying to accomplish? What's the end game? What do you want? So back to your point about relationships. Go well. What do you want? Right. Hmm. And if you don't have the answer to that, so you might say, Well, I want to know what I want. Fabulous. How would you do that? So all I have to do is, is there, there are two questions that are the zeros and ones really of productivity called what are you trying to accomplish and how do you allocate resources to make it happen? I'm, I'm sorry, that's universal. <laughs> that's universal about your relationships, universal about your career, it's universal about any of that. And you know, yeah. One of the things, when I, when, I, when I really discovered sort of the power of affirmations and visualization you know, in 1980, 81, when I really ran across that as a, as a really workable practical model. 
you know, about how you start to, you know, challenge and, and, and work with the unconscious. I said, God, this is really powerful stuff, but Jesus, I don't know what I want. So one of my first affirmations is, I know what I want. I didn't know what the content was. I just wanted to have the experience of that confidence. Hmm. So this could get pretty subtle. You know, what do you want in that relationship? I'd like to feel comfortable about it. Great. You know, how would you, what, what then might you need to do? And it could very well be that all you need to do is, if, if you were like me, sometimes all I do is just hold the picture of the desired result and then let the world show up as it shows up. So sometimes it's almost abstracting what we want. So for example, of the introspection and career stuff, I probably want to not be worrying about this every day. Yeah. <laughs> and, that's I, a, and that's a great affirmation, you know, not, not affirm the negative, but affirm yeah. the positive. Call. I'm really confident that I know what I'm doing and that what I'm doing is on, is on course. And then there's probably another thing that I want with it, which is I want to feel like I'm taking a good next action to explore it. You know, I, I may not get the answer, but at least if I feel like I journal about it for an hour every two weeks, or I talk to X, Y, Z people who have insights in it. Sure. You know, it, or you it, could say, I'm going to hang for two years. I'm just going to put a trigger two years down to say, how am I doing, dude? And then see what shows up. Mm -hmm. As long as that's okay with you, that's fine too. That'll, that'll get it on cruise control. So many times the, the, the best decision is not to make one. You, you might be too immature yet to see where, where you really need to go. And any judgment call you made right now might be the bad one. Hmm. You might need another six months of, of life experience before some part of you could trust that you nailed it. What do you say to people who are indecisive <laughs> in that, you know, for, for the, this life question, you know, they kind of get caught up saying, okay, I kind of, I, I, I get everything that David is saying to Dan, but like, I, I, I still feel caught. Should it be six, six months or should I do the journal now or should I, you know, the kind of chronic indecision? How do you, how do you coach people through that? You know, usually there are lots of ways that are very, very unique to the person, usually in terms of what one would want, what one might need to do. I mean, you can approach it from an extremely practical standpoint, which sometimes really works. And that is, okay, so what's the next step? What would help you get clear about this? Who do you need to have lunch with? what do you think you need to do on this? If I were going to pay you a million dollars right now to just take an action step that would help you get clear, what would it be? If somebody's life depended on you taking an action right now to start to get clear, what would it be? So most people are just lazy and they're spoiled. Hmm. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. What, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> I'm, I'm not offended. Why don't <laughs> or, why, why don't they decide they don't have to? <laughs> Sorry, they don't have to. If they did, they would. And that's not a bad thing. It's just called, hey, that's just the truth. So, you know, it's like don't sit there in existential agony. <laughs> so then decide. Yeah. Make a bad choice. And, you know, it's kind of like agile programming. Come on. Get going. Ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and correct. Right? You're not yeah. going to do anything sitting there and stewing, you know, and that was a big decision I made in my life at one point. You know, I, w I was waiting for the perfect thing and then just wound up waiting on tables, which by the way is not a bad career. Mm -hmm. uh, and so at one point somebody said, well, what do you really want in life? And I, I was willing to kind of tell him what some of my fantasies were. And he said, well, David, what would you need to do that could start to give you the experience that you're after? And that was a big aha. 
So I think, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, there are a lot of good stuff that I learned in all the personal growth stuff that I've done over all these years. And one of them is, look, you know, sit down and say, well, what's the w one thing to do? I mean, I, I said, well, there's a real practical aspect of it called what's the next step on this? And then there's the, the sort of the woo-woo side of this, which I also love and believe in, which is why don't you just take a, a two or three evenings and get some colored pens or paper or graphics or whatever and just paint the picture of your life five years from now or ten years from now. How would you like it to be? You know, create your ideal world. Mm. You can write it out, you know, whatever kind of medium really works for you and just say, hey, if I had truly the world, I'd be doing these kind of things. I have this kind of stuff. I'd be doing that kind of thing. I'd be doing that kind of thing. I, I, this kind of thing. I this. say, great. And then, you know, another digging a little deeper on that. We, okay, well, what experience do you think that would give you? People might say, gee, I want a red Ferrari. So it's fab, fabulous. What experience do you think that would give you if you had one? Well, a sense of freedom, a sense of fun, a sense of elegance, a sense of class, a sense of, you know, I'd be sexy. I'd, you know, I'd, you know whatever. It's like, great. So how could you have fun and be sexy right now? <laughs> a little more than you are. Ah, oh, that's a good idea. Right. So a lot of it is kind of look around, you know, kind of stretch out, you know, have the big vision of where you want to be. And then say, well, what are the unique pieces of that, 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 the, what kind of inner experience do you think that would give you? And then say, okay, well, how do you think you could start to move toward those kinds of experiences now? What kind of thing rings your bell? that you can see on your horizon or within your periphery and then start moving on that. So, you know, a lot of it is, is, is really just sort of essentially agile programming yourself. And also getting clear on what you want because with that example, the Ferrari, you know, I think people often pick the means by which they want to get to a certain emotion instead of focusing on the emotion. And Exactly. And so yes. you're, you're kind of in a fantasy of what you think your life could become so that you feel sure. these things instead of thinking about how can I actually feel these things tomorrow? Yeah. Well, and people want for the red Ferrari to, for a sense of freedom, then they get one and they're afraid somebody's going to hit it <laughs> all yeah. the time. So they, they just constrain themselves. You know? yeah. So they didn't, they didn't get the freedom they were after. So we went capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage. What's the nuance? Of these steps? Well, once you've parked all these things based upon what they mean to you, you still then need to be involved with them in order to keep them off your mind. So interestingly, you still have to engage in order to, in, in order to be free of them. In other words, I have to look at, if, I, if somebody just says, hey, David, I'm going to go party tonight. You know, I need to go look at all the other stuff I might, would, could, should, ought to do tonight and say, no, party's better. So I need to be able to still engage with my system in order to be able to then work it appropriately. So the reflect process simply means what kind of orientation maps do I need and which one do I need to see? So Dan, if you've looked at your calendar over the last you know, day or two, that's what you were doing. You were orienting yourself in space and time using an external tool to help you orient yourself. That's a reflection process. Right? That whatever's on your calendar is stuff that had been captured, clarified, and organized because that, that was where you wanted those reminders of it. Mm -hmm. right? like, like this you know, talking to me today. So you saw that, okay, that's, that's what I need. So your reflection process sort of gave you that orientation. So creating different orienting maps. What do I need to see when I'm going home with my family this weekend? What do I need to see when I'm going on a vacation so that I feel appropriately oriented there? What do I need to see if I'm talking to my boss or I'm talking to my, my, my client you know, right now? What, 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 how do I need to orient myself? How do I need to orient myself to feel comfortable over the next two or three weeks in terms of what's coming up? How do I feel comfortable orienting myself for the next 50 years, you know, based upon what I'm doing with my life? 
I don't know. So all those are reflection processes where essentially you sort of lift yourself up from down in the weeds at some horizon or some altitude and then look around. And do you typically do this once a week, once once a, a well, day, there's a month? You, yeah, there's a, you, you need to review whatever you need to review to get it off your mind. Mm-hmm. So how often should you look at your strategic plan? As often as you need to so you're not worried about it or not thinking about it. Yeah. You know, how often do you need to look at your calendar? Sometimes I need to look at mine several times a day. Sometimes, hey, you know, I glance at it and go, I don't need to think about it because I only got one thing to do tomorrow, and that's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, a lot of it depends on the frequency of change, the frequency and the, and the complexity of your life. You know, as you probably know, one of the things that we have found over the years is the weekly review is really a critical operational review that most people are not doing and most people need to do if they want to feel in control and focus just on the operational side of their life. Once a week, you need to build in one to two hours where you step back and take a look at all your projects, look at your calendar, both past and future, look at all the stuff on your list to catch up. You know, so that kind of, you know, pull up the rear guard once a week, we've found, you know, just practically speaking, is probably the most valuable thing people could build in that most people are not doing. So you said one to two hours reviewing your projects, calendars, lists. Are there any other components about doing the weekly review well as you've seen it? Yeah, whatever kind of checklist that you might want to see. A lot of that depends certainly on the complexity of your life and your own interests. You know, if you've got, uh, hey, here's all the things I'm trying to work on to improve myself, my health, my relationships, my whatever, maybe you want a checklist of that sort that you want to see once a week. You know, once a week, what are the things that you need to sort of catch up in your life? Have you have you turned in all your expense reports? Have you done X, Y, and Z? So you're customizing your own kind of review, you know, would, would make that pretty elegant. But for the most part, it's just catching all the stuff that sort of in terms of your work and what you're doing and, 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 and making sure that's caught up and current and clean. So the first thing I do is clean up all my lists. Sometimes I'm moving so fast I haven't had time to mark off, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 things I've actually completed you know, much less figure out what, what, what's next. So that's what, that's when it gives me time to catch up. Not only that, you and I both had probably several things show up in the last, you know, few days that it, when we sit down and think about it are actually now projects, but we haven't had time to think about it in that horizon yet, Mm. but it's still there. You know, it's a phone call that you thought was a simple little thing and then turned into, Oh my God, that became another opportunity or a problem. But you haven't had a chance to sit down and now, okay, let me resolve that or handle that or take advantage of that. You haven't been able to stop and think of it at that level. So catching up in that kind of way, powerful stuff. And very few people do that as a habit yet. So reflection and then what does the engage piece consist of? No, that, just means, that just means, okay, now what are you doing <laughs> based upon all that? Are you doing out of trust or hope? So the engage piece is really, okay, what, what are you doing right now? And do... You know, we used to, I used to use the word do in the first edition of, of Getting Things Done. I used the word do. In the new edition, we've changed some of these languages, some of these words, the ones I'm using now. Because engage could as much mean take a nap as go work hard on something. Mm-hmm. Just call what's the right thing to do right now? How am I engaged? How am I, you know, in, engaged in my life at this point? So engagement simply means where are you putting your focus and your resources right now? And is it appropriate? And so the best practice there is to have done the first four best practices. If you've captured, clarified, organized, and, and reflected on everything appropriately, believe me, you know, what you decide to do will be done with a lot of clarity, whether it's have a beer, take a nap, or sit down and you know, craft the next line of code. So these five steps, I'm picturing myself you know, <laughs> in, in full transparency. I think I'm, I'm pr- okay at some of these, but not, not super good at some of them. 
I think because I, I really haven't invested the time to really just make sure I get all my ducks in order. But I'm also picturing myself four years ago in college, wanting to stay focused and having you know a lot of these external structures of classes and group projects and you know they were they were I was always kind of held accountable to other people to get things done you know I had the deadline of of work you know and then transitioning into adult life after school there's the things I need to get done at work but there's also you know a lot more free time and a lot of personal projects and you know I feel an even greater need to have all my ideas down on paper and, and create a system like this and I'm wondering for people like me who may be starting closer to scratch than <laughs> from the middle, how do you implement it? Because it seems like there's just it it just is a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like every single thought that goes through my head, I need to clarify. You know, it's just it almost seems a little overwhelming. For people who might be on the the other end of the spectrum of of being disorganized and stuff, how do you really practically help them in- implement this system without being overwhelmed? Well, for the most part, we found over the years, for most people, it takes two days of a coach hand-holding you. But if you have enough rigor and discipline and interest, you can do it by yourself. Just get my book, and part two actually walks you through the coaching process. But it'd probably take a couple of days. I mean, at least give yourself uh, you know, half a day, if nothing else. But basically, you know, because you haven't nailed it all, you don't know how much there is. So that's why you're feeling an infinite amount of overwhelm about this because you have no idea. You know, trust the process and sit down. And, you know, I worked with somebody the other day, spent a day with her. And, you know, halfway through she was in tears because she saw this huge pile of stuff that we gathered together. And she said, oh, my God, I can never do this. By the end of the day, she's having champagne. She's jumping up and down, clicking her heels. Go, wow, I'm in control. Yay. You know, life's good. <laughs> You know, because I know it feels that way, and it, and it can, because that's why people, are, if, if people didn't resist this, I'd be out of a job. I have to go wait on tables again. I kind of have job security here, because people really do really resist this, and they need all the help they can get, essentially, to get it, you know, to, to, to get started into it. So you have, to, you have to jump through that hoop, at least to begin with, and sort of trust the process, and say there is an end to the number of things that you can capture at some point, it will stop. And so... You know, when I say two days, for most people, it takes somewhere between one to three hours just to gather, just to do the capture step. And then it takes, oh, usually the rest of two days for everybody to then go through everything they've captured and make the next action decisions about them. At the same time, then people then need to kind of structure, okay, now where do I go? What kind of a list manager do I need? And that's for the most part what, what most people need is some sort of a list manager. Any list manager works as long as you work it. Because uh, all you need, for the most part, in terms of keeping track of the actions and the projects you have, are lists. Hmm. And the, the, you know, my book describes what are the common ones to do, and people can customize that. You can make it simpler or more complex based upon the, the nature of your life. Uh, but that's that usually usually takes a couple of days to to actually capture all the stuff, make all the decisions about it, and set up a, at least a beginning working system to be able to work this. So. And it, it actually doesn't take that long to implement it, but it's not free. You, you do have to invest time in doing it. You, you, you actually have to. And, and you can do it piece by piece. You know, I've seen people do that and say, look, I'm just going to start to write down a lot more stuff. I'm going to get an in basket and at least throw stuff in there. And, you know, as opposed to spread it around my life or keep it in my head. And so even just doing little pieces of it can, can work really well. Uh, and as long as you then keep going. So it's a real good idea to get a sense of the model or the, the, the whole blueprint of the thing. And, um, 
they'll get a sense of how it works. It really helps, by the way, too, if they if anybody can get access to one of our public courses, you know, of, for getting things done. The fundamentals course uh, is really the blocking and tackling of this, and it'll give you the motivation. You'll see a lot of people. You see a lot of good ideas, and that'll you know that's a great that's a great kickstart as well. Great, and we'll we'll put the link of that on the site. Um, so I have some uh, rapid fire questions from some of our listeners that some of our listeners submitted. Um, sure. feel, feel free to give long answers, <laughs> you, even though, <laughs> even though I'll be rapid fire, you can, you can be calm, cool, collected. Um, so the first one is, um, how do you sustain pro- productivity, you know, powering through some of the tasks that you may, that may be a bit more agonizing and, and that you don't want to do? Uh, I think you need to get into the habit of just being clear. And being in the habit of being clear says, okay, what's most got my attention right now and what do I need to do to get that off my mind? Handle the toughest thing first and then snack on email the rest of the day as a reward. Another question was, is it not so much getting things done as it is choosing the right things in the first place? Uh, well, you're going to choose more, better, writer things as you get older. I mean, how long does it take you to change an idea or a, or, or a goal? about a second. How long does it take you to learn to execute on anything? About two years. So that's why I teach the execution model because what you decide to focus on will change. Trust me. Right? So, and, and the truth is getting a clear head, the methodology to do that will be true whether you're six years old or 60 years old and whether you're a, a beginning student or whether you're the CEO of a major company. So this model doesn't change. So learning the model of how do I get on top of my world, I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't tell you whether that's the right or wrong goal to have. You'll tell yourself, and the clearer you get in terms of the more in control you feel of whatever world you've got right now, then the more grounded and clear your goals will be. I wouldn't trust your priorities if you've got a bunch of stuff sitting around in your head. I, w- I frankly wouldn't, you know, <laughs> not me. <laughs> and the, the, so, cl- the clear head can help you prioritize. Per exactly. Se. You you have you don't set priorities you have them, but you you won't know what they are until the clearer you get, you know. So the clearer you get, the more it becomes more obvious to you what you know what are the right or or not so right or optimal not so optimal things you know to be focused on. And by the way, this doesn't make life easy. Heavens no! If you didn't have challenges, you wouldn't grow or expand or express yourself. So it's not about getting making life easy. By the way, you don't have to like your life to get it off your mind. But a clear head will make it a whole lot easier to then navigate. That's fascinating. I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that. You, you don't have to like your life to get it off your mind. Well, a lot of people just like to bitch and moan and complain. It's like, fine. And they could, have, they could do that with a clear head. <laughs> it's like, why not? You know, what the heck? And that, see, uh, the, the rightness of your – well, in a way, this gets a little subtle, but the – I, my working hypothesis is that we are actually are all on the planet to do something, to express, expand, experience, or whatever, to learn from that. You know, do something you're, predestined or yeah, or uh, um, preformatted, not predestined. What do you mean by that? Oh, uh, 
I think you you sort of picked the game you were going to land in, and then, but the 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 learning is the choices that you make uh, based upon that. So you have free you don't have free will, but you have free choice. In other words, uh, you can choose whether what you want to cook tonight. But the fact is that you know you you didn't necessarily have an a infinite number of choices in terms of who to live with or where you're living. You know that just kind of mm-hmm. showed up, right? But you still have a lot of choices in within that context. So it's almost like the game is laid out, but how you play the game is infinite, hmm. right? So in, in that way, if we're if we're here to play the game in some way, shape, or form, and if you're not probably optimizing the game that you're playing, that will be something that will have your attention once you get clear enough to recognize that subtlety. Hmm. In other words, you'll you know, are you really on what you ought to be doing? And however you, whether that was self-determined or determined by some higher power of you, you know, in, in whatever your context is in terms of how you experience that. But the truth is that if you're not really on in that way, that will then have your attention. So it's really, in a sense, all about getting efficient. How do I start to find out whether, you know, because you know, back to your point, people say, well, are you, are you doing things right or are you doing the right things? <laughs> well, the right things are only going to occur to you based upon trying to fulfill something that you consider right. Mm-hmm. right? And that means if you're not then fulfilling that, there's still some incompletion or something that's got your attention that, needs, that, that you need to then get appropriately engaged with. Are you appropriately engaged with why you're on a planet? Are you appropriately engaged with whatever vision you have that's got you moving towards something, whatever that is? Are you appropriately engaged with then your shorter-term objectives that you need to accomplish about that? Are you appropriately engaged, by the way, with all the things you need to maintain so you have a healthy, balanced enterprise or body to get there? Are you appropriately engaged with all the things that you're committed to finish? Are you appropriately engaged, by the way, with all the physical actions that you need to take on all your commitments? And I just went, I just went through the six horizons we've identified of your commitments. Hmm. So all of those really have to do with, with, okay, identifying what's got my attention about that, what's not on cruise control about that, but at multiple horizons. So this gets pretty subtle. I'm an active meditator. And one of the analogies that I really like in that, which I think really relates to this too, is that it's almost like, you know, when you're going about your day, there's so many thoughts. It's like you're going through a cloudy room and you can't really see across the room until you move some of the fog in front of you. And then when you move that fog, there's a bit more fog that you can then move. And so, you know, when it comes to these higher priorities of figuring out what you want to do, it's hard to even get there if you haven't cleared all the thoughts bombarding you in the first place. So it's almost like by getting more clarity using this system, you can get closer to recognizing the higher level things that are important to you and and make clear decisions on them. Well said. So another question we had, and you kind of touched upon it, but I'll I'll give you room if you want to mention anything else. What technology do you use to supplement getting things done? I know you said the wastebasket, brain brain toss. Anything else that you'd like to know? Uh, Right now, currently, we're using Lotus Notes and our company have for years. And so I have the e-productivity add-on that a friend of mine, Eric Mack, designed uh, which only works within Lotus Notes, so it's not unless you're using Notes, you can't use it. But it's very well designed around the GTD model, so it makes it very easy to manage to make an email, an actionable email, and 
you know, all I have to do is drag it over waiting for and it automatically date stamps it and automatically puts it in a list of waiting for. And so there's a lot of cool stuff that, I, that, that, that makes that a little bit slicker and easier. But that's my list manager, essentially, or tasks within Lotus Notes that are manipulated by a, a very cool add-on program called eProductivity. And I use all the, you know, you know, all the great stuff, you know, most people use. I use the, you know, Microsoft Office Suite, uh, you know, Excel and Word, mm -hmm. great, great tools, and Snagit. How could you live without Snagit? You know? So, you know, screen capture stuff. And um, I use the brain, the personal brain, uh, <laughs> as, a way, as a way to keep track of just interesting connections with people and locations and, and projects and things like that. It's not like a... It's not like a finality kind of tool. It's more of a fun way to kind of keep reference that I can that's, that's interesting to find interesting connections with people. And uh, what else do I use? Yeah, that's, that's I, obviously I use Skype. That's what we're doing right now. You know, yeah. I have all those communication devices. We use GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar you know, for our company. That's, that's a great tool. Uh, Technology-wise, that's... Pretty much it. I'm exploring IQTEL right now, by the way, which is, was really designed around the GTD model, uh, and it's out beyond sort of Lotus Notes, and but it also has a lot of the same kind of power to it as a as a list manager. You really need to understand GTD to to really kind of make it work. But I'm just in, in the experimentation phase with that right now. But it looks very cool. The next question is: If you have to come to a company and infuse their culture with GTD, and you have one day to do it, how do you do it well? Uh, pay me big bucks to show up and, and you know, do an overview and, you know, keynote and Q&A. Uh, that's, how, that's how I would do it. Or find significantly, significant people within that company who have already implemented this and it changed their life and have them give a testimonial. Or, you know, just show up and look like you're having a great time and they say, what's, what's your secret? And say, you're not, you're not old enough. Hmm. Why do you say that? Make what, it what sexy. Effect? <laughs> I don't think you're ready for GTD. You haven't had enough experience yet. There's another question that maybe relates to this, which is what techniques do you use as a coach that really seem to hit home with people you work with? Pretty much what I've been talking about you know, before. I mean, mm -hmm. the main thing is, is not to editorialize and not to say here's the way to do it, but to have the right questions for people. And and to make sure that you know that you that you you know that you really care about the value they're going to experience in getting their head clear, mm. and that essentially you hold people to the to to, to the process. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not really about convincing people about this. It's called our, our job is not to convince anybody. Our job is to provide information. That if you want this, here's how you get it. And if you got an easier way to do it than that, share it with me, and I'll teach it instead. You know, we just sit with the, this model of, the, of that, that that really, really works. And, you know, we don't seldom, every, you know, rare cases we're brought in to fix somebody. But for the most part, we don't, we don't try to take on those kind of things. You know, people are usually very attracted, already interested, already, you know, know this potentially works. They just, you know, it's like hiring a trainer, you know, and, and working out. Everybody knows how to exercise, but it kind of helps to have somebody sit next to you and go, one more, one more, you can do it. Mm-hmm to hold the focus for you. So the main thing is just being able to have a sort of lovingly neutral uh, focus for people and hold that focus for them so that they can walk through the exercise and get enough experience with it to be able to really get the, you know, experience the value of it and the practice. 
it actually is like a muscle that you develop deciding next action thinking and writing stuff and getting stuff out of your head it, it, that 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 is a hab those are habits you can actually develop but you know it's it's the difference between looking at a video about tennis and saying wow I, that's a cool game and I could probably play it uh, as opposed to being out there on, with a tennis pro for two days hitting 6,000 balls. Same game, but big difference in terms of how you'll feel at the end of those two days. Another one of the questions is, what's your philosophy on advice? You know, As a coach and, and a thought leader, who do you ask for for advice, and what tips do you have for young people who are interested in entrepreneurship um, on asking others for advice and evaluating whether advice is good to take or not? Uh, you know, actions speak louder than words. So I just say, you know, look around and see who you'd like to have lunch with, who looks like a cool person, looks like they're having fun, or looks like they're having the kind of life you have or doing the kind of work you want to do in some way. And have as many lunches as you can. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, that, you know, somebody told me years ago that all the wicked, coolest things that will ever happen in your life, David, will, will occur either directly or almost directly from your willingness to step out of your comfort zone and meet somebody you never met before. And I've never disproven that. That's really been true. So I think just step out and get engaged. You know, get involved, meet people. And, you know, that's that's big secret. Any questions that you particularly like to use when you're getting to know somebody or you're trying to learn things? Um no, not really. A lot of it depends on what's the context that I'm in there, if I'm trying to learn things. Yeah, sure, it's nice to say, what, what has surprised you about X? What, didn't, what did you learn that you didn't expect to learn about X? I think those are good questions. Hmm. Um, another question is, how do you feel about building an empire around a concept and um, you know, all the celebrity that comes with that? How do you understand yourself? as well as your concept as it's been discussed over the years? I guess they mean, meaning me personally? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, fame and fortune are not necessarily tied together. I'm trying to do that. But <laughs> 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 you know, trying to keep a little business model going and viable because it is a fairly simple little IP model and trying to, you know, how do, I, how do we work that? So, you know, I feel like in a way I'm sort of in a 30-year startup. I'm still... We're still trying to figure that out because we've got a big vision. You know, how do we scale this to the world for the people that, that want it? And so, you know, it's still a small little company. We're still, you know, working with how we how do we make that viable and how do we scale it? So we've got some very big projects, but they've they've taken some pretty big investments. It's kind of amusing. I mean, interesting. It's 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 lovely because the people that tend to be attracted to this happen to be some of the best and brightest and most creative people on the planet. So it's fun to you know be able to have live in a world where you know that that network of people that I'm you know known within you know those kind of in that kind of venues you know those are great so uh, you know obviously most of the people probably listening to your podcast are in that in the tech world and this stuff you know was the first sort of non-tech meme that spread through the tech world you know especially when getting things done hit paperback and that about 2003 and that was when the blog world kind of started out and people like Guy Kawasaki and 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 uh, Robert Scoble and you know some of those folks who were the early bloggers and and Twitterers and so forth they you know they were big fans of my stuff and then that sort of 
they 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 rapidly leveraged this out into the tech public and it spread around the world. The GTD was we didn't even assume that it was a brand. It was sort of this little brand that ha- that that ran out from under us. So uh, it is it is kind of amusing and it's nice. It's great because this does nothing but improve people's lives. It's, you know, there's there's no this is not running with scissors. You know, anything anybody learns from GTD is going to help improve something in terms of what they're doing. So it's great to. To be, you know, I feel really blessed to be able to be in a position to, to be doing that kind of work and, and helping, helping make that work. So, my wife and I are both still down in the weeds working on getting this uh, our global training uh, uh, curriculum, you know, finalized and finished. We have about two thirds of it done, and it's already in, in play out there. And we're now franchising our training program now around the world. And our franchisees are just some of the coolest folks, you know, in Russia and in, and in India and in, and in Brazil and. And all over, it's great. And what does that look like, and how people, how can people access it? Well, you can go to our website. You know, all, all the public seminars now that that our franchisees are beginning to do, and they're most of them are still startups themselves. So it's it's barely just starting to get traction in some of these places. Uh, but you can go to the website and look at events and the events uh, roster, and you'll you'll see some of those things showing up there. If anybody's you know interested in that, it turns out that we we partnered with. Um, the company that the, the two guys that basically built the, the Franklin Covey International Network several years ago are now working with us as partners to build these franchise uh, exclusive franchisees around the world. So, um, you know, that's that, that's really great. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm being here. I'm here in Amsterdam. It's kind of in the center of where there's a good bit of traction in uh, in the UK and Ireland and Scandinavia and Western Europe. There's, you know, the franchisees here are, are taking off pretty well. Mm. And and have these franchisees been people who uh, took an interest and reached out to you, or are they thought leaders in in the local communities? And are they people? You know, who- all all of the above. Uh, we thought that initially, when we started to build this model and build the curriculum, that we thought that well-established large training companies would be very interested. But it turns out that the people who are really most successful with this, and and that we wound up partnering with, are really just GTD champions that just love this and really wanted them the opportunity to be able to work with this themselves. And most of them were consultants or in the training business to some mm-hmm. degree anyway, but mostly they're, they're kind of small, not so much startups, but uh, like our, you know, the, the guys in England uh, have, have been doing this work and consulting for, for many years, doing quite a bit of senior work you know, in major companies already. Uh, France, our new franchisee in France, already has a, a well-established consulting firm in Paris. Uh, and the same is true in Berlin, you know, for Germany. So, but they're all big champions of GTD and love it and, you know, very dedicated to this. It's not, it's not like a sidebar thing to them. So I think that's a key element. And is the format going to be group classes or just a bunch of different coaching relationships? Basically, our global curriculum is made up of three levels, and each level has a primer one-day workshop and then several follow-on modules that can be done as webinars or as little workshops or whatever that, that, that you know, drill into some of the detail from the, from the primer course in more detail. Mm-hmm. And so these are, for, for the most part, live training programs that are done live, though the follow-ons can be done in, in, in webinar format. Mm. And that's the the primary aspect of it. Uh, of course, my book, the new version of my book, the new edition of Getting Things Done, is out and is getting translated. And you know, the the first edition was in thirty languages, and most of those languages are now re-upping in the new edition as well. And that that goes along with it, so everybody gets that those manuals. So, and then we'll expand from there. We're also beginning a coaching you know certification, so we can certify coaches in these within these franchisees as well. 
uh, to be doing the one-on-one -on -one work, which is, which is you know, a, a nice uh, component for these companies to have. And who do you find is being attracted to this stuff? Do you have any sort of metrics on that? We don't have really any metrics on it. I, it's mostly anecdotal, but I can tell you yeah. the people most attracted to it are the people who need it the least. <laughs> That's no, fascinating. It's the, most, it's the most productive people that are most aware of drag on their systems. And what, because what GTD does is it releases drag and gives you space. Well, who's interested in more space? The, the most creative people, <laughs> right? If you're in your comfort zone, getting rid of drag is a drag. You're going to have to mm -hmm. do some things differently. So it, it, it's fascinating to me that, that, you know, I, that I discovered that it's the people who are already organized, already productive, already highly creative, already aspirational. And that could be a six-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 45-year-old or a 72-year-old. doesn't matter. So that's the only profile we've seen is the mindset. It has nothing to do with any demographic other one other than that that we've seen. Do you have any ideas on how to change other people's mindsets or really get through to people who could benefit the most from it? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> just, you know, I, come on, there's enough to do with people who are interested in it. So the main yeah. thing is to leverage them. Nothing sells this like somebody actually doing it. Yeah. So you know because they will affect everybody around them. And people around them are going to notice, hey, hey what'd you do? And how, what's different? How come your, your email's empty? And how come you were responding back to me within 24 to 48 hours and nobody else does? You know, how come you have time to do X, Y, and Z? And that's what happens. And so you know, that's, that's the best, our best marketing tool is finding champions that do it. Well, if any listeners have any ideas, definitely email us and I'll, uh, forward, I'll forward it along to David. That'd be great. That'd um, be great. So I have three more questions. What advice do you have for someone who wants to write a big idea book like Getting Things Done? And is there anything about the book's architecture and design that makes it particularly effective or made it go viral? Beats me. <laughs> I have no idea. I wrote the book twice. Um, because the first draft I wrote of the book um, didn't work. I wrote it the way I actually delivered the seminar, like a whole two-day seminar. And that didn't work because there were three things that, that I wanted to accomplish with the book. One is I wanted to give people the methodology. Secondly, I wanted to actually walk people through the coaching process in case they wanted to implement it themselves. And thirdly, I wanted to indicate the depth and the power of this methodology in, in some of its more subtle things. Now, I can do that in a two-day seminar once I've captured people and I walk them through and I have plenty of time to do that and they, they sort of catch it from me. So I wasn't really sure I could put that in a book. So I wrote the book the way I did the seminar and it did, really didn't work because as soon as people read the first paragraph, they say, wow, that's me. How do I do it? But how do they do it was chapter four or chapter five. So I, so I went through the dark night of the soul to try to figure out how to do it. And the big aha, my big epiphany was I realized, okay, let me do the book in three parts. So the first part of the book really does give, okay, if you, here's, the, here's the, the quick shot of the whole methodology. The second part of the book is, oh, by the way, you want to implement this? Come on in. And I actually walk people and write. I wrote the whole, it followed directions, you know, and I walked people through the, the coaching process in the book. And then the, the back part of it was, and oh, by the way. So I wrote it in three parts. That made, I can't say that that was why it worked so well, uh, but, you know, it does. I don't know that that works as a model for anybody else. What do you see as the biggest emerging problems um, in productivity, given all the changes to technology and society? And how do you think people can face those, and how will GTD change? 
Well, the fact that we're always on 24-7 global and that there's no business, there's no work-home distinction anymore. You know, that, that's the good and bad news. If you know what you're doing, it's a great time to be alive. If you don't, you're overwhelmed and you'll blow a fuse. So it's really the stress of opportunity. That's the biggest challenge that people have. And the good news about it is it's just going to make it that much more evident that you better keep your head clear and use the GTD process to be able to make sure that, that you're not letting yourself feel overwhelmed by all of those possibilities. And so I think that's the biggest both opportunity as well as challenge is the, the volume and the speed of change is speeding up. Uh, and so being able to keep up with that and being able to have the, the mindset and the tool set and the behavior set and the habits that you can then surf on top of this game you know, is just going to become that, that much more critical. How do you see your work compared and contrasted to Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and some of Tim Ferriss and other, other people's thoughts on life, lifestyle design? What are some of the strengths and weaknesses of, of each of them? I think they all have strengths. I mean, they're all good books. They all have great, great tools and techniques. I think most people would say, and it's probably true, and I, you know, I'd, I'd be unfair because I, I really haven't explored many of those you know, things in as much detail as I, I probably could. Uh, but most people who've done all of those things and read all those things say, well, GTD kind of gives you the, the grounding basis for execution on all of that. You know, uh, and that, that nobody else really tackles it the way GTD does in terms of handling where you currently are and how do you get on top of that. And I think what's unique about our approaches and my approach is that I don't start with where you should be. I start with where you are. Because if you can't handle where you are and get control of that, you know, then more shoulds they stick in your life is going to make, make you feel more guilty and more overwhelmed. Um, so we have two more. I'm trying to think of what's the best order to ask these. <laughs> I guess... Um, the first one I'll ask, someone, someone said, I guess they might have seen maybe your Wikipedia page or something that said, um, David, you've had 35 professions and have a ton of experience. What advice would you give to a 25-year-old starting their career? What sort of things should they focus on? Should it be honing the, our operating system um, like GTD or, you know, what, what sort of things and advice do you have for someone who's 25? Oh, my general advice is just follow your heart. You know, listen to the still small voice inside of you that's telling you to do what to do because it could, it, it could change from month to month or for, you know, six months to the next six months. It could be a different thing that you need to focus on or do. And I think you just need to pay attention to that. So the first thing to do would be to implement GTD so you get your head as clear as you can and then start to listen to your intuition and trust your intuitive judgment call and, and engage. You know, don't, don't hold back, engage and course correct. You know, so that's, that's my biggest advice to anybody. You know, in the martial arts, you know, in, in karate, when you're sparring, the last thing you ever do is stand still. You know, you're always moving. Because even if you're moving in the wrong direction, at least if you're in motion, it actually takes less effort to change directions 180 degrees than it does to go that new direction from a standstill. So you're better off to be moving, even if it's in the wrong direction. It'll give you good information. So just keep your sights on where you want to be and back to what we talked about earlier in terms of creating the ideal scene and making sure you've done that as, you know, as best you can or as much as you feel like doing and, you know, then strike out and then course correct. If you could only do two or three things to really get on top of your productivity and clear your mind, what would those three things be? 
write everything down that's on your mind, decide the next action on each one of them, and implement the two-minute rule. What's the two-minute rule? Anything, any action you decide that you decide the next action on any of those that you can finish in two minutes, do it right then. Because it'll take you longer to stack it and track it and look at it again than it would be to finish it the first time it occurs to you. So, and it'll give you an extra six months to your life. So, those are my three. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. Are, are there any thoughts you want to share to close out this podcast? No, just that this is much easier than it may sound. And it's a whole lot more fun. And a clear head is a lovely place to operate from. Awesome. Well, you've definitely cleared up a lot of my questions on uh, productivity and creativity, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. So Me too. Thanks so much, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'll see some people at the one of the seminars that you're holding. Cool. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks. Um, I think the ironic thing is that that we're, we are having a hard time getting this interview done. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, you know, shit happens. Yeah, right.